This podcast was recorded July 2019 um, in the home of Kikelama Ajala. We talk about her owning a fashion brand, um, taking a break, coming back to running her fashion brand, motherhood, and her being a woman in the fashion industry. Have you ever been on a podcast? No. It's <laughs> my yeah. first time. Yeah. I finished. Nice one. Okay, so this is the Kylie Little Podcast. We're going to be talking about you, your fashion brand. So would you like to tell us about yourself? What's your name? My name is Kikela Moiridi Ajala. Um, I own a fashion brand called Fakea Shikida and soon to be Rivka's clothing too. And that's for children's wear. Um, Fakaya Shikida started in 2000, July 2013. It's uh, basically a mixed-race brand, if I put it that way, because I guess coming from a mixed background of my mom, my mom being Nigerian and my dad being English, I decided that I want to make clothes that kind of merge the Western world with the Nigerian or African world, so that we can do Western designs in African fabrics or African designs in Western fabrics, but basically just merge it so that way it's international enough that it can go all over the world or anyone in the world can relate to the design and rock it. How yeah. did the name even come along? Because when I tell people I work at Fakir Shikida, they're just like, what? <laughs> okay, so Fakir Shikida came about because my dad has six children or had six children now or seven. So I basically got out the first two letters of um, my siblings plus myself are Yoruba names. So there's Femi Kemi Yemi, which is Fekeye, and then Sheo Kikedami, that's Shikida. Okay, so did you always know that you were going to like work in fashion? Did you always feel like you would be a designer? Growing up, I knew because of the way I loved drawing, I loved art. I didn't ever think I would be a fashion designer when I was like 10, 12, I actually thought I would be more like an architect or like someone who knows fine arts. I would have said I would have studied more fine arts than fashion. But then growing up and then getting into secondary school where I used to blank out sometimes in classes and I realized that all I was doing was drawing dresses. I was like, okay, it's fashion thing. I can like play around with it and let's see how it goes. And then before I knew it, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this fashion thing, let's just see where it goes. The good thing about it is like the rest of the arts, like um, drawing, painting, collage, or the rest, like anything I did with my hands, it came easy, so it wasn't like I had to go to school to study something that just comes easy for me. When I now started in the fashion, I got so interested in it that I was like, yeah, fashion is what I really want to do. So did you go to school for fashion? Uh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, I went to AIU London, which where I studied fashion courses. Um, then I came back home and I started again. Um, but do you consider yourself a designer now? Honestly, like, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm a fashion designer because yeah. with everything that I do now regarding creating things or creativity or just thinking about something and seeing it come to life. I would say, I think I'm more of a creative. I think I'm just a creative in every aspect, like whatever, because even with food, whatever, like as long as it's to bring an idea or like, I think I'm more of that person. I won't say, oh, I'm just going to be stuck to fashion because that's actually limiting me and my 
brain juices to actually flow the way it should, if I put it that way. Um, but yeah, I guess on the ID card, you would just say creative director, fashion director, or yeah, art director. Or art director, exactly. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't, I won't consider myself a fashion designer. I don't um, want to be limited to a title. But I know that you're about to, you know, make that comeback mm-hmm. to the fashion I feel really excited. I think um, a part of me is nervous because of the whole gap and the pause that happened. But so what year did you first start? I, I started in 2013. And um, so 2014 was good, 2015. Then 2016 was actually, it was still good, 2016, but then towards the end of 2016-2017 because of, I got pregnant and then by the time I had that loss, I um, I kind of put it on hold because of my mental state of mind. And then when I now realized I had to leave the country and just be abroad, so like it was just on hold for too long. It was just because of my mental state of mind. I needed I needed to get myself back. I needed to clear my head to know what I really wanted. How is it being a woman and like all the other things that you have to go through that you don't speak about, but you do in the fashion? Um, it's tough because, for instance, I remember. I remember after we lost the first baby, and I, I went back to work because I also said that I want to like distract myself from everything that happened. And I remember going back to work, and I remember like I couldn't explain to customers that oh, I'm sorry this happened, I lost the baby because it's none of their business. But then some customers were yelling, some customers were really cursing out like I was ruining your business, I'm going to go on social media and everything. And I'm like I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and that hurts because I was like. When that happened, I basically zoned out for a while. I mean, business was not my top priority. Yeah. Business wasn't my top priority. Designing was not my top priority. Making money was not my top priority. Having a mental state, like having my peace of mind was my top priority and making sure that I was together. Because if I didn't have time to grieve and to go through all the emotions and all the feelings, if I had started or had opened a business again, maybe I would have just been that very angry, frustrated woman that just is disrespectful to her staff and to her clients. And I, I didn't want to. And I rather be the best I can be when I'm when I'm conversational, communicating with people, than come across as a horrible person. Even when you were running from 2013 to 2016, was there like some sort of stigma towards you, you know, being an independent woman? Yes, there was. There were lots of, um, there were lots of, I guess, stories saying around, uh, where did you get the money from, how did you afford to do this, um, why do you have it, why is she in partnership, why are you coming out to a big bang, why are you... There were just too many things, but I, didn't, I really didn't let them get to me and I honestly think that every time I felt a rock being thrown at me or I felt an arrow coming, that was when I would just create something that would still be like, oh my god, how did that happen? Like, how did she, how did she do that? Before you stopped and you went on this break, how was it, what did you learn from owning a business like because now I mean I feel like you've had time to reflect mm-hmm. and you know okay 
there are certain things that I don't think that I would do, especially because we've run a business in Nigeria, it's so much different than you know the ideas that we have in our mind of where we want to start a business. So, was there any? Is there anything that you're applying now into this new rebranding that you've learned from running the brand from 2013 to 2016? Um, start small. Even if you have all the money, start small. Know your market. Know and stick to the market you want to have. If you're going to go into luxury, make sure you're luxury from the beginning to the end. Don't care about if mass production is making money. Stick to your luxury brands. If you're doing mass production, stick to your mass production. If you want to have the best of both worlds, then have two different names. So that way you're not associated because some luxury buyers will never buy your brand because they've associated your name to a mass production brand. That's one. Um, one of the other things that I learned, um, <clears throat> thank God for social media, so you don't have to have a specific or should I say a permanent location. Because of social media, I can take a picture now, put it up, say this outfit is like 10k or 15k, someone says they like it, I can just literally go into my bedroom, Packages. package it and send it. Um, Another thing was, instead of keeping tailors down and owning them, I think it's best to even outsource, so you actually even give them that free, should I say, the freedom to be free, but then let them know that they should be held accountable. Yeah. Because if you baby them and pamper your staff all the time, they will never grow. They will always be dependent on you to let them, tell them what to do. So, um, what was the other thing I learned? Too? Actually, something else I learned. And then, um, try and I've also learned not to be so emotional to myself because I realized that when I first started FK, as you remember, it was everybody was like a family, like there was joint eating. It was like a huge family, but I think a lot of people took that for granted. So, at least that's not going to happen. You know, so Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> so, by emotional, you mean like not getting too involved with your staff um, emotionally? No. Yes, don't get too involved with them. There are certain excuses that when they come up with, you should you should be able to know. Like now, I can know who is bullshitting me or not. Because like then. Today is someone's mom is sick, tomorrow they need money for this, tomorrow my daughter is sick. All of a sudden you realize that your tailor has ten children. How? Guys, you understand? So like all those things and then um, try not to have as much inventory. That was another thing I learned. As much inventory. Inventory like clothes, yeah, clothes being made. Okay. Or even inventory of like uh, let's say materials right. being bought to produce, like trying to limit the numbers you buy so that way you just don't have excess because sometimes fabrics that look beautiful now you might not like them in three months because newer, nicer colors of prints will have come out. That's true. Um, that kind of like brings us to the whole like sustainability thing. I know what you're doing, okay, but you also kind of have plans to be very sustainable and also just 
be more philanthropic and how are you going to manage all of that um, trying to help people in the north and being a mom at the same time like, what is your balance because I feel like being a mom changes the game yeah, being a mom, being a mom changes the game. But then, when you have a partner who understands your passion, it helps because if you communicate what that passion is, and he also says, "This is what I want for myself," you can. There's, 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 there's there'll be parts where if he's busy, that is my low time. When I'm busy, that's his low time. So there, it has to be like a pendulum. So that way, if I say now, I want to now start going up north to look and look for cap makers, embroiders, people that um, weave cotton, and you know, it's best by then he won't be as busy, or even if he'll be maybe working from home, there's always a balance. There's always a balance. And because my daughter is at an age where now, if I went to work and actually take her to work. I keep her busy. If I put like four different different textures of fabric in front of her, it'll take her a while to mess around with them and then we'll find something else to do. Yes. So it's good for her to even watch at an early age to see people working, to see people doing things, to play around with all those colours and different textures because you never know what parts of her mind or brain will be open to something totally different. It might not even be fashion, it might be interior, it might be something else, upholstery. And for I don't know, just doing whatever. You never know. Um, but to balance it out with designing, I guess because right now too, so we don't have like a solid structure because we don't have a workshop space yet, as you know. And so once that workshop space comes, even though it's going to be like on a smaller scale compared to when we first opened with the big bang, at least this time they'll be structured to know like how it's almost similar to what it was before. You place, you give the orders a week before, you know that this is the orders for a week, for this next week. Yeah. They have all the fabric arranged, you have the floral manager that goes to all the tailors to give them their work, quality control. So all of that will still be there, but we'll just be on a smaller scale, maybe like two, three people or like one, two people instead of the normal have four people doing this, have six people doing this. Yeah. Just because you wanted to create jobs for others, which I still want to do because I feel like a lot of people need jobs and the more people you employ and the impact that you give or the impact that you make, you're changing lives. Yeah. Even if you just hire someone just to separate beads for the rest of their life, you are, and you're paying the person and the person has a sense of belonging and satisfaction that I'm going to work every day and I'm doing this. That to me is joy and I want to get to a place where like not only am I employing people because of the money I'm making for myself and in the long run but just even having platforms where I can connect people or grassroots people to others to say, oh, you have a factory for grains, come, you have a factory to produce fans. I know these people because we need that. We need that right now. We really do. We really need that right now to help this country progress because if the country doesn't progress and we remain like this, it's, 
it's sad owning a fashion business that all our fabrics are so highly priced because they are all imported or smuggled in. We don't, we don't make our fabric, we don't produce any fabrics, we don't do any of those. So that alone is a lot of money. So your cost price when you're even trying to make a decent outfit, you're charging someone an arm and a leg just for a simple dress yeah. because the Ankara is not even printed here. The zips are not made here. And the zips that are made here are not great. The threads that are made here keep tearing or keep cutting on the machine. So we always need important things and that to me is one of the things that we're trying to really fight. Like we really need to fight it as a fashion as if as the fashion family or the fashion industry itself. Like we really need to fight that. Because we have all the resources that we actually need. We have everything that we need to be able to achieve that. I would say that we have one of the best dyes in the world. Dyes that colours in Abel Kuta in Kano, like the dyes took Dry clothes, purples, the indigos, it's one of the best in the world. Yeah, we do. We have one of the best dyes in the world. The artisans, the artisan community in Nigeria is actually a very, very fantastic one. If we could find a way to get everybody together and then divide everyone in different groups of, okay, you're the bead makers, you're the cane weavers, you're the bust, um, you're the raffia weavers, you're the thread dyer, do you understand what I mean? Like you're the ones looming, you're the loomers, you loom cotton, these ones loom um, ashokio, the thicker, yeah, so that way. I don't know, it's like even when we do realize that we have all these things, all these resources that can help us, are we willing to share, are we willing for everybody to, you know, be on that, on that same level, are we willing to be equal? Well, I'm really, I'm, Personally, I'm willing to share and to be very, very equal because there is a goal. The goal is that when you make an outfit, everything is made in Nigeria. Down to the fabric itself, down to the beads, down to everything, like everything is made in Nigeria. That's the goal. I feel like a lot of designers that uh, tend to hide or hoard what they've made or what they've created is because either they're insecure or they're actually afraid to be trendsetters because I would feel very, very um, proud. proud or I would take it as a huge compliment if I ever created something and I saw other designers copy it and then they added their own twist to it because in fairness, the first person who made a maxi dress or a wrap dress was maybe only God knows how many years ago. And now, every other designer at some point in their collection has had a wrap dress. Yeah. And no one has ever said, oh, you stole my design. Yeah. That person is just a trendsetter. Yeah. And I'd rather be a trendsetter and know that, wow, okay, once upon a time, I did this. And I got younger folk who edited it, used their own brains and twisted it around. And, you just, and that's how it just keeps evolving. And it would be cooler if the trend that you were setting was more like Nigerian, like, oh, I discovered this type of fabric, and like other people actually start using it. Mm -hmm. What direction are you going generally with life right now? With life right now, I'm going with the direction of taking everything easy. So even the clothes are going to be as easy as possible. Easy wear, easy, 
easy, easy. Nothing that is going to stress you out. Easy. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> like, yeah. That's basically what it's going to be. Free. Free. Because it's more captains, more longer robes. Freer. Sleep-ons, um, yes. You know? And then even the dresses and some of the tight-fitted things, yes. We have one, one, one or two of those, but mostly just easy stuff that you can wear at home and if you get a phone call to go somewhere you can literally just carry your keys and walk out yeah. if you're that type of person that you're free enough to wear those easy things but if you're the person who when emergency comes you still have to go into your room to wear your heels and change to a pair of trousers and wear your bag and do your makeup then but still for you I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> fair enough Direction, yeah. But I'm looking for. So, are you, are you applying that sense of direction with life as well? Yes, with life, everything. I'm just taking everything. It's best because um, if I don't do it or if I overstress myself and I just am assuming for a million people and I'm expecting or being, I'm expecting so much from everyone who doesn't even have the passion or half of the passion that I have is going to drive me crazy mm-hmm. and I'm going to, it's going to affect me in my, my peace of mind, it's going to affect my marriage, it's going to affect my, my relationship with my child, it's going to affect my relationship with my friends, it's going to affect me financially because I would feel like, oh I have to do this and I'm so pressured to do this and because this was trending now I want to spend more money to have that. I don't want to, I just want to, just yeah. Wake up. Wake up and just, and just do take every day, yes, take every day as a come and just let it flow. That's that's basically what I meant. Well, I have news for you. You killed your first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you killed it! Exactly. I love, I love it. it. Yay. So you should be hearing this soon.